The Teachers College at Emporia State University presents How We Teach This. Welcome to How We Teach This. Today I have the honor of interviewing a group of teachers who are being recognized as outstanding. This is the Kansas Teacher of the Year team for 2023. And if you would please take a moment, each introduce yourself. Okay, my name is Kendall Norberg. I teach in Lewisburg USD 416, and I am a fourth grade teacher, and I've taught about 17 years now. My name is Brian Skinner. I am an interrelated special education teacher at Newton High School. This is year 10, and I'm the 2023 Kansas Senior of the Year. My name is Janie Swimmer. I teach in Ottawa USD 290. I teach special education, and I've been teaching 24 years. My name is Carly Torres, and I teach fifth grade in Hutchinson, Kansas, and this is my seventh year. My name is Mallory Keith. I teach three-year-olds in Cheney, Kansas, and this is my eighth year in education. My name is Jessica Gazzano, and I teach art in the Spring Hill District. Um, this is my 15th year of teaching. My name is Pamela Munoz, and I teach in Topeka at Topeka Public Schools. I teach kindergarten, and this is my 17th year of teaching. My name is Erica Huggard, and I teach science at Emporia High School, and this is my 17th year of teaching. Wonderful. So we have a lot of experience in the classroom and a wide variety of subject areas and grade levels. That's awesome. Would you start off by sharing with us a story about a student who has inspired you to be a better teacher? Sure. This is Brian Skinner, a special education teacher in Newton. A student that comes to mind is one that graduated just a few years ago for me. He was one of those rambunctious kids that has high energy. Teachers are like, ah, oh, he's on my roster. But he's someone that just needed someone to take the care and time to listen to him. He's someone that didn't learn traditionally, and he needed he needed some rebelief into his abilities to be successful. And he had some some pretty significant struggles along the way. He was kicked out of school once for an altercation. I had to rebuild that trust system with the school. He ended up becoming a father towards the end of his high school career, and needed someone that was able to help continue to believe in him and build a schedule around him that could allow him to keep getting education. And he was able to finally graduate. And he reaches out to me still pretty regularly, just thanking me for the impact that I've had. He's actually my barber now, and he is so proud, so proud. I've got Skinner's hair. And it's just it's just a reminder of the impact that we have as teachers. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to have someone that still is in my community to share that impact with me. But I know there are just public educators just across the country have just countless individuals that they touch in the same way of being able to have that huge impact. And it's gratifying, and it keeps me, keeps me coming back to the classroom. This is Mallory Keith. I teach preschool in Cheney. But prior to starting the preschool program, I taught kindergarten. And I had a student come to me, and he was a runner, a kicker, a biter. He would roll himself up in my carpet on the floor, and it just took a lot. And I poured a lot of love into him. And so I specifically remember one instance, I dismissed the rest of the class to go to recess and he stayed in and he was really upset that he didn't get to go outside. And we just had the conversation of, you know, you have a job to do here and you didn't earn that recess because you weren't doing your math, like what you should have been doing in math. From that moment on, he knew I meant business and we built a relationship, which then I was the only one that had, like, he didn't have that with my principal or my co-teacher. 
it was still really hard because then, you know, you're the only teacher that kid trusts your, that constant support from 745 to 310. And he ended up being taken out of the home on Christmas Eve and which was super hard for me. And his family was reunited in a year later, about in October. And then I got his little brother who was also a runner, <laughs> a fighter, but kind of the same thing, like pouring love and resources into that family. And yeah, both those boys impacted me. And you just never forget the impact those kiddos have on you too, as an educator. And like Brian said, just keeps you going. My name is Jamie from Ottawa. Um, I teach special education. I think one of the more powerful days I've had in my teaching career was the day I got a student named Christian. He had a movement disorder and felt very uncomfortable in his skin when he would stop moving. And so I knew he was going to come join our class the next year. And I kind of talked to the other students about how he needed to be and how he needed to move all the time. And what could we do to make Christian more successful in the classroom? Because it was going to be a big change with just this one student. And the kids are so smart and they think outside of the box. And they simply said, well, that, that'll be okay. Let's just put all our desks in the center and Christian can walk around the perimeter of the room and still get all the content. And I was so proud of my kids for that. But the truth is, it was the best thing we could have done for Christian. It was the best thing we could have done for our class. And we functioned like that for four years with great success. For me, it's really taking what the kids have and building off of their skills and their problem solving to make things better for all of us. And really powerful day that day. Awesome. Thank you. I've seen a theme in your presentations that you've been doing, and I understand You've traveled all around Kansas and you've presented at a variety of places, correct? Correct. A theme that I saw was about relationships and making connections with students. And I wondered if you would share with us if there is something specific that you do in order to learn more about an individual student's needs. And I'm picturing a student who's maybe more withdrawn. It's not real eager to let you in to know what they're thinking. What do you do to help you connect with that student? This is Kendall from Lewisburg, fourth grade. I mean, you asked that question about connecting with students. Yes, connecting with students is so important. But I just want to say that I spend a lot of time connecting with families as well. And to get to know the student who knows the student better than the parents. They're their first teacher and they know them. They know them the best. And I spend a lot of time at the beginning of the year getting to know my families and sitting and talking with them. It is very hard for me to get through a 15 to 20 minute conference because we have so much to talk about and just spending time with the families and getting to know what life is like at home, what their evenings are like, what the parents do for a living just helps me to understand where they're coming from and what they want for their child and to better support them. And that's, that's where I like to start. This is Erica Hubbard. And as a secondary teacher, last semester, I had 189 students, which is more students than I recall ever having at a semester time period. As a high school educator, if I'm going to make connections with that many students, I have to get into their world. I have to go see them in their extracurriculars, watch their sporting events, pay attention to the newspaper for their names, and then take time to tell them when I see them in class that, hey, I saw you in the paper 
hey, how did the game go? And, you know, be a big fan because I am such a fan of them. It's just so impressive how much these students take on. And then in addition to that, as a teacher academically, I like to do quizzes that are one-on-one or in small groups. And this gives me a time to not only cover content and check on my students' understanding, but to also engage with them at least once every class period as an individual and show them that I care. This is Carly, and I teach fifth grade. And I was thinking something along the lines of what Eric was speaking is sometimes it's even in those tough conversations we have with students, using that time to connect with them and telling them what we see in those students. I think of a student, he was just kind of too cool for school at times, you know, didn't really want to be there, or at least didn't love to be there except for use of. PE lunch and recess, and he scored really high nationally on one of our benchmarks. And, you know, I just pulled him aside and I said, you know, I think you're really smart. And I think that might have been maybe one of the first times he's ever really, a teacher's ever really told him that because he kind of got tears in his eyes and he said, thank you. And ever since then, I just saw a shift in how he responded to me even. And so when I, every day when I leave my classroom, I ask him, give me a fist bump, a high five, or a hug. And ever since that day, he always gives me a hug now. And I think it's just simple things like that and realizing and letting them know what potential we see in them because sometimes they don't even know themselves. This is Pamela. I start day one. And so in, in kindergarten, relationships are big. Social, emotional learning, and social skills is really big. So I take a lot of time especially at the beginning of the year, we have class meetings, but I make it kind of interactive. So I get out my little trampoline, I put it in the center of my carpet, and the student who is picked gets to jump on the trampoline. And as they jump, we sing a song to welcome them to class. And we take the time and do it every day for the first week of school. Another thing that I really like to do is the first week of school is we have a class meeting and we roll the ball, but we say the person's name before we roll the ball, and then they get to tell me anything they want to to let me know about them. But in return, you know, I can't build a relationship with a student if they don't know about me. So I take the time, and I share about myself as well. All of my students know about my, my children. They know what they like. They know what I cook for dinner. They know about the games that we went to on the weekend. I bring pictures in. So they're always asking me about my children. I'm always asking them about their siblings. So we really build a family, not just a classroom. And I always stress to my parents, it is a partnership. It is not you know, what I do in my classroom and what you do at home. We are working together to make your child successful in society. This is Jessica Gazzano. Um, And I have a really unique classroom because I teach art and art is kind of its own language. And so at the beginning of each class, we take five minutes to draw on our sketchbooks. And during that time, I'm able to sit with a different table every day. And seeing what they're drawing and what they're interested in helps me to know a little bit about themselves. But a lot of times kids just like being in that classroom because that's kind of their therapy, the release for the day. And so I also like to open up my classroom at different times so that they can come in and have lunch in that space or come in for an advisory time in that space. And the extra time that I get to spend with the kids where it's outside of a kind of academic setting 
is so incredible because they kind of open up and talk about all kinds of things, not just about art. Having an open classroom where everyone is welcome and can come in, not just during class time, but outside of class time too, has helped make connections. Do you have a go-to teaching strategy that works well for you? This is Erica. My go-to strategy, if it wasn't hands-on, then it's models. It's either models that that we have made ourselves out of clay. They draw their own models or it's models that are three-dimensional that I have. When I can help students visualize the things, the body parts, and how they work through models, to me, this is when students start to understand. And then once they make their model or use a model and then have to explain it in their own words as they help their peers collaborate, then it's just the learning goes through the roof. For me, this is Brian Skinner. For me... What is most successful is I'm fortunate enough to have a student for four years, most often because I'm the only English-specific special education teacher. What's most successful is being able to build on those communication skills and use real-world application pieces as we go through our novels. Every novel that we address, I take a moment throughout those novels to be able to get them up and moving, and we find just phrases that apply to real-world discussion. And we'll move around the room, we'll discuss, we'll debate about them in connection to their own lives and their own schemas, but also then in connection to the author's point of view. And the, all those are used to build what I consider to be some of the foundational pieces, communication of knowing what your opinion is on something, knowing why that's your opinion, and knowing and understanding why someone might have an opinion that's different from yours. And we capstone and build all those things towards their senior year, where when we study Into the Wild by um, John Krakauer, we study through Christopher McCandless's credo, his own sets of beliefs, and how that drives his goals and his futures. And they, in turn, get to take all those conversations and write their own personal credo of what their beliefs for our life are and how those beliefs are going to drive their strengths and their futures going forward. And students really resonate with that. And I enjoy teaching that style because it gives them a chance to express who they are and to understand who they are and how that fits into their success. Jamie Swimmer. Teaching secondary special education, super important for us to be really clear with directions and objectives for the day. So I try at the beginning of every class to set the objectives, make sure the understanding on what's going to be accomplished for the day is clear before we ever start. And that's been a real helpful tool for students, I think, but also paraeducators and anybody else who may be in the room. Everybody is on the same page about what we're trying to accomplish together. This is Mallory. I like this is cliche since I teach preschool, but my favorite thing is to have fun with kids. So when I'm looking at standards or even just thinking about child development, because we all know that's not necessarily in standards, is, okay, if I'm teaching X, Y, Z, what can I pull in to make that fun? So for example, we were practicing jumping on two feet. So I brought in a bounce house and we practiced jumping on TV. And that's not just exclusive to preschool. Jessica made a video that we share in our presentation that we get to give to colleges around the state. And she has kids from kindergarten through college that all talk about great teachers, make it fun and engaging. And one little girl even says, it's so fun. I forget I'm at school. I feel like sometimes the art of having fun in the classroom gets lost and it shouldn't. You should always be having fun with your students, regardless of what that looks like. What advice do you have regarding teacher self-care? This is Kendall. One thing I always tell 
teachers that have worked for a while even have to hear this is Q-tip. Quit taking it personally. It's not about you. So that is one thing I remind them and to set set limits for themselves because we can easily get lost in our school day. You can walk in the building and 12 hours later walk out and you still feel like you haven't done enough. So you have to set limits for yourself, but take the time to make the connections and the connections with your coworkers as well as your students. Because when you're going through a tough time, you need someone to lean on and you need to be there for them. It's so important. Our kids deserve our best. So it's important to take care of ourselves so that we can give them our best when we're there. I also teach crisis prevention and we, we do call this rational detachment. And it is working with paraprofessionals and teachers. And it, it just means rational detachment means being able to maintain your professionalism while you're managing your own fears, anxieties, and stresses that you have in your life. This is Brian. Self-care is one of those words that seems like it's it's just a buzzword in education, uh, almost too much to some people. And I think the root of it, though, really comes down to that why and finding your why and your passion and your belief. And that's why it's different for everyone, which is why sometimes the, the small strategies for teachers to take self-care don't resonate as well because they aren't attaching to that individual's why. For me, my why is just being able to see the excitement and the engagement with my students. Like the student that story I told earlier of the impact that I had with that student. The more that I get involved with my students, the more it kind of rejuvenates me to keep working harder for them, which is a very weird way to think about self-care, but that's something that, that motivates me and inspires my why. If I were to do that for a building of teachers, though, that wouldn't resonate with many of them in the room because it's not as specific to their why. So I think each teacher resurfacing back to what brings them joy, as uh, some of the others on the team were saying earlier, and how does that fit into what they do in life? And that's a huge part of self-care. I'm glad you brought up the why part because I know that was also in your presentation. So does anybody else have something to share or add about the why we teach? My name is Jamie. I teach because in eighth grade, I was in PE and I had a student who had, or it wasn't my student, I had a friend who had special needs and I was paired up with him in PE and we would play games together and have a good time in gym. And his teacher, not my teacher, but his teacher pulled me aside one day after we had gotten changed from gym. And I thought I was in trouble because he pulled me out into the hallway. And I thought, oh boy, I'm in for it. But he looked me dead in the eyes. And I remember this like it was yesterday. can still remember what I wear and what he was wearing. And the whole picture is so vibrant in my head. He just looked me dead in the eye. And he said, you, little girl, have a talent for working with people who have special needs. And it almost took my breath away because I thought I was in trouble. And so he looked at me again and he said, you, little girl, have a talent for working with special needs. And it resonated so deep in me. I went home and I told my mom and dad that I wanted to be a teacher just like Mr. Sheeper and that he thought I could do it. So I was going to do that. And my mom and dad were so proud of that decision. And it has driven me forward from day one. 
So I feel like when you work with especially older kids, super important to be able to tell them what you see in them. Because if Mr. Schaefer had not told me that, I could have missed my career path and where I am today. So um, be brave and tell the students what they might not know about themselves. This is Pamela. My why started, gosh, I was my first year of teaching and I had a, a little girl look at me and she said, Miss Vinyos, you look like me. And that just touched me so much because I grew up in a predominantly white school district. My elementary school had 250 students. 15 of us were students of color and five of us were related to each other. And it wasn't until my junior year of high school that I had a teacher of color. And so just being there for her to see someone that resembled her and that looked like her and her knowing that she could be an educator as well has put an impact on me and developed my why. So every time, and not just students of color, but every time I have students of color in my, in my classroom, I always think about that and like, yes, you know, here's someone that looks like you. We don't all look the same and that's completely okay. But to know that they're seeing diversity and that you can really, truly be anything that you want to be. My name is Erica. I'm a teacher because my sixth grade teacher noticed that I didn't try in school. And I spent a lot of time trying to be invisible. And I also only liked recess, tea, and lunch. <laughs> and one day, my teacher stopped me as we were heading out to recess. And she asked me why I don't try. And I didn't realize that it was that obvious that I wasn't trying. And she asked me to start trying. And she told me, and I remember this part pretty clearly, if you try, you can do as well as your peers. So I started to try and I started to study and I started to do well. And it was actually pretty shocking that I didn't, I didn't think that I could learn as easily as everyone else. And from that time on, I tried and I always think about that teacher who took time to tell me that if I tried, I could do well. And I continue that today as a teacher. This is Kendall. And my why, I always knew I wanted to work with kids. But when I got into student teaching, and I have to say that I grew up in Southern Johnson County, and I grew up with every privilege anybody can imagine. And we did not want for anything in my family. And when I got to student teaching and I was in a class of fifth graders with 36 students, I started to meet students that needed, needed more. And there is one little boy I remember, Stephen, and I just, he was smart. I could not figure out how to help him. His head was down. He didn't put his, put effort in. He didn't try. And when his mom came in for conferences, in walked this woman who was pretty close to my age. She had a 10-year-old and two other children. And I was blown away that someone so close to my age could be going and struggling through what she was struggling through with her kids. She had an abusive husband. They didn't have much money. And I think it finally clicked with me. You know, there are people that are really struggling. And these kids are coming to school with what we call their invisible backpacks full. 
and they need us. And they might have great parents or a great parent at home, but their parents and their families need us to support them. And if I can be there, I was so fortunate growing up. And if I can do anything to give back, then I feel like I owe it because I was given a great opportunity. No one's going to follow that. (laughs) What was the best advice you've received from a mentor? In college, Erica from Emporia, sorry. (laughs) Have high expectations of your students because they can meet them. And the other advice was to seek out the professionals in your building that you want to be like. And those things have given me so many opportunities. This is Mallory. Mine is kind of similar to Erica's, but they're, you can Google it and it'll pull right up. There's, it's kind of like a little blog about marigolds and walnuts and walnut trees essentially like suck the life out of other plants and marigolds don't. They do the exact opposite and help others bloom. And so one, always to be a marigold, but two, to seek out those marigolds in your building, kind of be, be around the people that you aspire to be. And they're always there in your building. You just have to find one. If you can't find one, then be one. This is Brian. For me, it would just be to to be yourself and to be willing to be yourself around your students. It's okay not to have all the answers. It's okay not to be the person who is seen as the figure who is always right at the front of the room all the time because that's not real. That's not that's not authentic. And that's not showing your students what failing and rebounding from that is like. It's not showing your students how you grow, how you work hard. And if I'm not being myself in front of my students, if I'm not letting them get to know me, then those connections can never form. When we talk about connections, they're two-way streets. And I'm getting I'm taking interest in them, but they want to take interest in me the same way. And if I don't let them know who I am as someone other than just their English teacher, then I'm missing an opportunity to be authentic and to connect and to really impact their lives the same way. So that that's the advice that's kind of stuck with. This is Carly. And I was thinking when I was student teaching, my teacher that I was teaching under, she let me really do whatever I kind of wanted. And I always thought was like thinking like, would this be too exciting or too, I don't know, extravagant. And she just let me have it. But then I went to a PD one time and it said, don't wait until you have it mastered to try it in your classroom. And it's so true because if we wait until we have gotten all the research or we've mastered this practice to try it with your students, we'll never be ready. And I think that's teaching in a nutshell. And so try it. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay. You know, adjust with it. And it's just education and it's just a fun, ever-changing profession. This is Kendall. And mine would be just to smile every day. And to greet those little people and let them know how much you love them and are happy to see them. And that right there can make a huge difference. Do you have a funny or a scary story that you'd be willing to share with our listening audience? This is Pamela. I have a scary and memorable story and funny at the end. In our building, we have reading strategists. And my little friend went with the reading strategist to another classroom. And she actually took two of my friends and they were there for, oh, for their reading time, about 15 minutes. And then one friend comes back, but he comes in running 
And he said, Miss Munoz, we need you. We need you. And he kind of had broken English. And I was like, what is the matter? Because come, come. And so I, I went into the other room and my student was under the table and she had found a little hole and stuck her finger in that hole and got it stuck. And the reading strategist was panicking because she had no idea what to do. (laughs) By this time, the anxiety of the student had increased and there were tears. And so the principal was called in. I tried to calm her down. I'm looking at her. We're trying some breathing strategy. We're trying to pull the finger out. We ended up having to call 911. We had to go into... Oh, my. <laughs> Sorry, I made a finger cutting, like, just chop the finger right off. <laughs> we had to go into soft lockdown because we didn't want to scare the children. The fire trucks, two fire trucks come up. Um, our classrooms have lots of windows, so all the shades went down in all the classrooms. The EMTs come in. And they are trying to breathe this thing and we had to take the desk apart. <laughs> One of the teachers was had a motion. She did motion to start and the little girl had just I was like, Look at me, look at me <laughs> and it's okay, let's breathe, let's breathe. Um they tried to put some lubricant, like some grease and stuff on it and it still wouldn't come and then like at this point, we're full panic, and so I get right in front of her, and I'm breathing with her, and I'm we're you know we're doing all these breathing strategies, and then as soon as she relaxed, somehow that finger just slid off. Oh. But I <laughs> will never forget that moment. She is a fourth grader now, and she I actually have her little sister this year. And she remembers it quite clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Her mom dad, because I made the phone call, parents. And so they came in to check on her, and she was perfectly fine and safe. And then they asked her, they're like, are you going to stick your finger in a hole again? And they're like, no, absolutely not. Oh. That's learned. Oh, I got a funny story. Uh, this is Valerie, and she was in preschool, so I a lot. <laughs> but, okay, th- so this happened on the first day of school this year, and it's at one of my good friends' son, which makes it even better. In our preschool bathrooms, we have, like, little toilets and little urinals for little people. Oh, so I have 16 boys this year and two girls. So anyways, we're all lined up, and, you know, you're, like, herding cattle to get them just to stand by the wall. Anyways, I look over, so I was like, okay, X, Y, D, go to the bathroom. So I look over, and this little boy is sitting in the urinal. And I was like, aha. So I'm like, ah, get off the toilet. Because in my mind, I'm just envisioning, like, the toilet falling, the urinal falling onto the floor, like, pipe, blowing and busting everywhere. And so I'm like, buddy, we only go potty on these. Like, you have to stand. And he's like, well, Mrs. Keefe, I've got to go poop. (laughs) And so I was like, oh, okay, well. You know, you can go to the bathroom, but you have to wait for your friend to come out. So he hopped off and then waddled with his pants around his ankle and stood and waited to use the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. This is And the first year I did back to teaching middle school, I had a, a small group of kids and they were quite ornery. Um, and I had them in elementary school too. So we had a, a pretty strong relationship connection since I had them for so many years. And I, you know how 
students have to quickly run to the restroom in between classes. And I had, didn't have a bathroom here, so I had to go down the hallway to get there. By the time I got back, the bell had already rung, and there was nobody in my classroom. And I thought, oh, my goodness, where did they all go? So I walk into the hallway, and I couldn't find anyone. I'm walking around the school, and I'm like, where are those fingers? And so I came back into my room to, like, call the principal and tell him I'd lost a whole class. And the room had a lot of cabinets. And so they all popped out and they were like, surprise, they were hiding in the cabinets. <laughs> so it was, a, it was probably a good, I don't know, three or four minutes where I was searching for my students who were just playing a prank on me. But middle schoolers are fun. <laughs> this is Carly. had a fifth grader whose parents were really trying to get their kid to eat their lunch more than all he wanted to ever eat was Doritos. And so he would bring, bring this big bag of Doritos and hide them in his backpack. Parents asked me, like, make sure he eats a sandwich before he has any chips. So I would go check and make sure he ate his sandwich. So I come to check and he's like, yeah, I ate it. And I was like, okay, great. Where's your bag? Like the sandwich bag that came in. He's like, oh, I threw it away. Well, like five minutes later, the bathroom is overflowing with water and he... Had flushed his sandwich in the sandwich bag down the toilet and clogged the toilet. <laughs> so we had a, that was the first time, well, one of the only times I think I'll ever call home and say, Your son clogged the toilet because he flushed his sandwich <laughs> down the toilet. I have one more I have to share. This is Caitlin. Well, the past couple of years for lunch, We've had the pleasure of having free lunches, and this year was the first year that students have to pay for lunch. And what happened was I had a student who had brought his lunch, but was getting a lunch. And this happened, I think, three days in a row. And so he was having two lunches during lunchtime. And he finally got caught by a lunch supervisor. And so she told me what was happening. And so I talked to him about it. And I said, buddy, are you getting two lunches? And he looked at me and he kind of gave me this little smirk. He goes, yeah, because I really like food. <laughs> I eating both of them. So I had to call mom and or talk to mom at the end of the day to explain what was happening because she was going to be charged for those lunches told her what his response was and she just chuckled and she was like yeah that is totally him he is a chunky monkey <laughs> <laughs> I guess in response to this is Brian in response to Jessica's story middle school was like well high schoolers do too it was in my second year of teaching uh, one of my students it was early in the year and part of her transition plan that we discussed is it was a very overwhelming thing to be in the high school because we got thousands of students and we were really concerned about it. So we had people that were helping with escort from one class to another. And there had been concern that she would just really kind of freeze up in those passing periods and, and not know where to go and be confused. Class starts and she's not in my class. So I can't see her anywhere. And I asked, have you, have you seen, seen her? And they, they, they genuinely have no idea. I'm like, Oh my gosh, she did not make it. It was so close. So I'm calling everyone on the team and they're going and they're looking in all the corners of school. And I'm, we're thinking we're going to find her just huddled up somewhere, just probably in tears because she's gotten overwhelmed by all these pieces. And I have someone come cover my class and I go and I'm searching and probably 20 minutes go by and I keep going back into checking my class. And then all of a sudden I hear just some little stickering and I walk over and I look, 
she was hiding under her desk. And I had a little pod to this, so I wasn't able to see. And I'm like, wait, Abby, is that? And she's like, I got you. And she was so excited. And the crazy thing, she must have gotten into class so fast and been so quiet because we had teams of people. The people that were at her pod had no idea. They were like, wait, someone's under here? <laughs> had no idea that there was someone hiding under their feet and just there the whole time. <laughs> and there's a lot of excitement for for a very clever friend. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Would you each take a moment and maybe go around and share one last comment or story that you would really like our listening audience to be able to hear? I would just share, uh, this is Brian Skinner. This kind of going off the vision of what our Kansas Teacher of the Year team sees, and that is education is what we make it. Um, one of the things that we talk about pretty consistently is everyone has a connection for someone that inspired them for being in this profession or inspired them to see their best self. But we believe as the Kansas Teacher of the Year team that it's what we do as a collective whole that really makes the biggest difference for society. We believe that in any way, when we are going around the state, talking about our vision, talking about what success can be, that we are elevating teachers. And when we elevate teachers, we elevate learning. And when we elevate learning, we really do what's best for all students in public education. And every student deserves a chance. And it's our goal to make sure they all have that chance. Uh, this is Kendall Norberg, and this kind of goes off what Brian was saying. And I would just like to say to all the people out there, the teachers and the community that believe strongly in public education, to please keep speaking up and speaking out for public education, because I know so many of us feel like it is under attack and that we are under attack. And we just have to keep at it. We have to hold our heads up. We have to be positive and we have to keep telling our stories and putting our message out there and be strong because it is so important. This is Erica. And I would like to echo that. We have visited eight school districts throughout the course of this spring and each district. I have been so proud of my fellow educators. I have been moved to tears. I have had goosebumps. And I, it is just such an inspiration to walk into any one of the public school districts in the state and see these magical people working so hard to provide opportunities for students. And it's just been such an honor. This is Jessica. And I just want to kind of continue from what Erica was saying and encourage all of the educators out there to celebrate each other and to focus on the good things that your colleagues are doing. And when you see something good, tell them that they're doing an awesome job and just try to flood your buildings with positivity and um, encouragement because we need positive environments and, and the kids see it when we love our jobs. They feel that too. This is Jamie. I think when I think about education is what we make it collectively. For me as a special education teacher, I've never worked a day without paraeducators. And I think they're very undervalued. And so when I think about how 
We have tough days as public school teachers. Sometimes it's our paras and our classified staff that can bring us back to that positive place. And for whatever reason, we tend to overlook their contributions. And for me, it's important to highlight them and to highlight the value that we place in them and the fact that for me specifically, and I know lots of people um, in public education, we can't do it without classified staff. So for me, it's really important to remember that we're all in this together. It doesn't matter if you're a para or a bus driver or the school nurse or the teacher or a student intern. We're all here for kids, and that's that's what we're looking for. This is Carly. I was just thinking that some of the best lessons are not found, always found in textbooks. And it's okay to stop your class and have a morning meeting. You know, it's okay to have fun or go outside on a nature walk because that's where you really build those relationships. So just having fun and taking time to value your students and their needs are really important. This is Mallory. One story that popped into my head when you asked that. I have two kiddos. We were playing outside at recess back in like October and one of them was running and he fell down and he scraped his knee. So, you know, he started crying and it was the end of the world. And another student came over and was like, oh my gosh, Jack's very okay. And rubbed his back and, you know, was like a solid friend as his friend. And the other kiddo sat there and cried. And one, that was so endearing to see another three-year-old take time out of his recess to go be a friend to somebody else. Because recess is coveted, even if it's three, five, ten, whatever. Um, but also, one kiddo was a student of color and the, another kiddo was under the poverty line. And they don't see that when you're three. They just see, that kid's nice. That kid is my friend. I'm going to go help him. And so I just love that, I guess, innocence of little kids that they don't see the things that adults see or those stigmas that are just in our world. I just love that and encourage anyone listening just to to see the world like that through the eyes of a kiddo. This is Kayla. You know, education is really tough now. And teacher retention is difficult. And we are finding that new teachers last maybe less than five years. And we need to go back to our why. When times are rough, because they're rough, you know, think about your why. Also, you're not alone. You have a team. Use your team. But it's important to stay positive and to think about why you got back in education. So when things get tough, go back to your why, but also think about what really matters, connections with students and your why. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you you for your time. I just want to say how important it is. I'm so glad that you're doing this because like I said, we've got to keep telling our story. So I appreciate this very much. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. You guys have a good day and safe travels home. Thank Thank you. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode and will subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by the Teachers College at Emporia State University, featuring talks with experts and educators, addressing topics that can help you as an educator, a parent, and a person. We release new episodes every other Wednesday. 
You can get more information provided by our guests on our website, www.emporia.edu HWTT. We would appreciate it if you could help us spread the word about the podcast. You can follow us and share on Twitter with at HWTT underscore ESU. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for How We Teach This. If you would like to be a guest on our show or are willing to give us some feedback, please send us an email at hwtt at emporia.edu. I'm Christy Dugan, the executive producer. You've been listening to How We Teach This. Thank you. Thank you.